Yo, welcome back, thinkers. It's your boy DeVille Di Thoughts by DeVille Di Podcast. Back to bring you another episode with another awesome guest. But this is a repeat guest. This was a guest that was so nice we had to do it twice. <laughs> but before we get into that, if you haven't, I always have to give you your reminders. If you haven't, I need you to go back and check out last week's episode where I discussed D.L. Hughley's new book, Surrender White People. Very interesting read, and there's a great story at the beginning of all the trouble I had to go through to actually get my hands on that book. So if you haven't listened to it yet, I appreciate it if you go back and listen to it. And as always, make sure you go follow me on Twitter, Instagram at D-V-I-L-L-E underscore D-I and go over and follow that Thoughts by DeVille D-I uh, podcast Facebook page so that you can get the links to the episodes as they come out. No need to run around searching for them. If you don't know where they at, just go over Facebook. Boom. There you go. So today, bringing back for the second time, friend of the podcast, Miss Starla Carr. How are you doing today? I'm doing fabulous. Thank you. That, that's great. <laughs> so uh, last time we talked, I think it was like back in February. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You guys, if you didn't check out, if you if you are new to this, you haven't heard the episode I did with Starla Carr, you can go through my catalog. I believe I titled that episode, uh, Is God a She? And you can go search that, boom, pop it up, listen to it, and then come back and listen to this one. So you can be, you know, fully in line and what's going on over here. And um, so, Miss Starla, how you been since last time we spoke? Well, there's a whole pandemic. (laughs) Whole pandemic, huh? Oh, so uh, actually, it turned out to be the blessing that I needed. Okay. Because as an author, it gave me time to really work on some books. Mm-hmm. So that's what I've been busy doing is the writing. And as usual, I help other people get published as well. So not only am I writing, I'm helping other people get their books published. So it's been busy. Nice. I've been busy. <laughs> the, the whole pandemic thing kind of hit the podcast a little different. Mm-hmm. because like a lot of people shut down yeah when things started right around after we spoke in, in february when things started to really pile up a lot of people just kind of you know the went ostrich on me they just stuck their head in the sand and was like hey we, we uh we still on for these interviews like oh no there's so much going on it was like yeah right. i get it but at the same time the world doesn't stop you got to keep moving you got to keep pushing forward that's right absolutely Oh, definitely. So <laughs> today you're coming to bring us some of your new work, right? Yes, yes. What, what you got for us this time? Well, I have this beautiful book and it is called Embalmed. And <laughs> Embalmed? I know like, it's called like, Embalmed. As like, in, like, okay, go ahead. <laughs> as in like, yes, the embalming process when someone has passed away. Okay. And so... I had a, I had a short stint as an embalmer. You did. 
I did. Oh man. Um, I, and all the badges and bells and whistles, <laughs> wow. but I didn't get the job. Uh, and that's like, that would be a whole nother podcast, but <laughs> I wrote about it. And this beautiful book called Embalmed mm-hmm. is stories. It's just a collection of short stories from my work as an embalmer, because part of my education, I had to do a one year internship mm-hmm. at a funeral home. So it's stories. And, um, and since then, I graduated in 2003 with a mortuary science degree. And since then, I have like worked in funeral homes, but not as an employee, as a freelancer. Um, so it's just stories from things that have happened, my experience going through a school. Uh, it's about death. It's about grief, but in some unusual ways, because, you know, I'm that weirdo. So <laughs> <laughs> I got to keep people coming back from my books. So you can always expect something different from me. And um, it's really focused on how people grieve, but I don't think we recognize that it's grief. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, it's a beautiful book. Um, and it's a short read. It, it's nothing heavy. I like to call it a coffee table book. It's okay. one of those books, you know, you put on your coffee table when you want people to think that, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you're educated. So you just yeah, throw least... that out on the coffee table. <laughs> hey, I, hey, I know all about that. You know, a, a few years ago as a single guy, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes you have to set the, you have to be in control of your environments, you know, right. so you go, you throw a couple, put a couple books on the table, you know, right. drop a, a toy or two out in the living room so you, everybody can see I'm a, I'm a well-read great dad and all that type of stuff. I get it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this is perfect for that. This is perfect for that. Um, like I said, it's the cover is all black and it's got like a beautiful flower on the front. It's just very elegant looking. So it, it makes a great coffee table book. And it's one of those that people are going to pick up like, ooh, this looks, you know, curious. So besides, I think it's one of my best works yet. It's very well written and um, got a lot of interesting stories. And if people are curious about what happens after death, then it answers a couple of those questions without getting too graphic. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I I did that. I got a whole degree. (laughs) What, 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 What led you to study that? Well, it actually started when I was young. My grandmother passed when I was 17 years old. And um, I remember vividly, which I write about in the book, when my grandmother passed, I was petrified to go to the funeral home. Um, You know, because death is scary, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, my auntie and I went to the funeral home to look at her, to view her body, to make sure that she looked the way that you know, we wanted her to look. And I remember looking at her and thinking, whoever did whatever, they did an amazing job because she looked beautiful. Like her skin was beautiful because my grandmother had been sick for many years. And so the restorative art that they used to make her look the way she looked, I mean, her hair was flawless, her skin looked good. Like I was just impressed yeah that's a real that's a real talent because a lot of times you go to funerals and that that they the they just can't capture Mm -hmm. that person 
you know, you go and you look at it and it's like, that's not what Nana looked like. You know, Nana would never do it dead up like this. Exactly. Um, And I think that kind of sparked something within me. And my curiosity with death, like all of my aunties are nurses. And when I was very young, I thought I was going to be a nurse. And then I started hearing what nurses actually do. Yeah. I was like, eh, eh. <laughs> like, no, I don't want to do any of that. So the funeral home industry had a great appeal to me because one, you didn't have to hurt anybody anymore. You know, like when people are sick and they're not feeling well, it's like people, you know, they're mean, they're grouchy, you know, people are poking and prodding you in treatments and I wanted a career in something that didn't have to do with pain. And so, and then I added in the component of I've been a hairstylist for many, many years. So I had that and it just seemed like a good fit. And, you know, along with my weird curiosity about death. So it all fit really nicely. And, um, and I, and I loved what I was doing. I really enjoyed it. I re- enjoyed the restorative art portion of embalming. And, um, you know, just sadly, it didn't work out. But <laughs> that's okay. That's all right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but it, 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 the book is really cool. And like I said, if anybody's curious, you know, I did leave a few little tidbits in there, but like I said, not to be too graphic so people aren't like grossed out. I get it. <laughs> yeah, that whole, you made me, um, when you were saying about you piqued that interest as a child, it made me think back real quickly. And I was like, the first funeral that I can remember, or the first death I can remember uh, was my grandma. Mm-hmm. I lost all of my grandparents pretty early. Like I was a kid, kid, like five, six, mm-hmm. eight years old up in that area. And the only memory I have of the funeral is the the I have a picture in my head of her in the casket. Mm-hmm. And um I remember someone telling me, I believe it probably was my one of my sisters, because they were pure evil at the time. Yes, I'm talking about you guys. <laughs> at the time and they told me to um don't kiss grandma mm. because if you kiss a dead person your lips are gonna turn black oh my word. <laughs> <laughs> yes so that's the whole thing whole time i'm thinking while we're because you know how you get in that little weird that awkward piece of yes of of, of, of that line and Everybody's going by to pay their respects. I never really got that. I still don't really get that. You know, you kind of walk by and look at the body and touch it or whatever if you want to. And I remember when we were in that line and my mom's holding me. She's not holding me like in her arms, but she has her arms around me. And I remember somebody in front of us kissed grandma. And I, in my head, I was like, no, your lips are turning black. So... I spent. <laughs> those are the only parts I remember. I remember from that, from watching her, the rest of the time. Every time I could see her, to see if her lips were gonna turn black. Oh, see, that was mean. That was so mean. I told you they were evil. You thought I was joking? No. Just... <laughs> so working, working in the mortuary. Are there any other? I'm wondering. Uh, um, 
what do you call them? I can't even like think of what you call Stereotypes or like myths. Yeah, any any other myths that, that revolve around the, the mortuary and, and that type of stuff that you've heard. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, my, my favorite, the funniest thing that I think people really still believe is that the dead can move like after they're dead or something like that. Um, that's usually the question I get the most, like, has anybody ever like breathed, you know, and I'm like, no, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, they're, they're pretty dead dead by the time they get to the funeral home. Um, Usually the process is the funeral home <clears throat> gets the phone call to come pick up the deceased, mm -hmm. but they've been dead for a while. You know, there can be a last breath, maybe 20 to 30 minutes after a person, um, their cessation of life. But usually by the time they come to the funeral home, they've been dead for a while. Um, and so, no, they're, they're not breathing, they're not moving, they're not sitting up, <laughs> they're not doing wow. any of that. Yeah, but that's, that's a big superstition, and I get that question a lot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, what was it like, if you can recall, the, that first time where you were actually just like face-to-face -face with, with the corpse? Right. Um, well, it's actually a semi-funny, but not funny story. My mentor <clears throat> um, that I was working side by side with, my very first day, there's a, there's a stigmatism of women in the funeral industry that we're not supposed to be there. It's usually male dominated. And <clears throat> there was only like three female students in my college that were taking mortuary science. And so, all of us were scrambling, trying to figure out like where we could do an internship at because there was limited opportunities. Mm -hmm. So the funeral home that I went to, um, they were very cool about their schedule and, you know, cause I'm still working and I'm a college student. Now I have to do an internship. So it was hard to like fit in all the hours. So my very first day, the mentor was like, hey, I need you to um, come help me with something. I'm like, sure, you know, my very first time in the preparation room, and I wasn't nervous. I think I was more curious than anything else. But he was like, um, this young lady that we have, she was a teenager and she was hit by a bus. Mm -hmm. And he was like, the, her parents have donated mostly everything they can donate. So she was a bone donation, organ donation, eye donation. I mean, skin donation. They donated everything. So... I'm like, okay, you know, let's, let's go do what we got to do. And he was like, okay. So we walked into the preparation room and there's this woman laying on this table. She's covered with a sheet and I am overwhelmed with the smell in the room. And it was not a gross smell, like, you know, like nasty smell. Mm -hmm. It was just a very strong odor um, like if you took Vicks and like ramped it up to the 10th power, it oh, was wow. like that kind of smell. <laughs> so we walk in the prep room and instantly my eyes are watering. My nose is running and I'm trying to play it off because this is my first day. I don't want him thinking like, I can't handle this. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. You know, and I'm wiping, <laughs> wiping my nose and wiping my eyes. 
and he's doing the same thing. I mean, his nose is running, his eyes are watering. And he was like, well, usually when a person passes, you use a machine to embalm them and you use the veins and the arteries. Well, because of the way that she had been a donator, then we could not use the machine on her. So what they use is this product called autopsy gel. And the autopsy gel is basically formaldehyde in a gel form. So you like cover the body with this gel and it preserves them. And we walk in and our job was to take, wipe off the excess gel and then get her dressed and for the funeral and you have to put her in this bag and it's, it's really complicated. But the whole time I am like, you know, tears are just running down my face. <laughs> And I'm trying to put on this brave face, like, oh, I got this. This is yeah. not a problem. And so we get all done. She looks amazing. And we walk out of the preparation room. And my mentor just kind of starts laughing. And I was like, what's so funny? And he was like, oh, by the way, <laughs> we don't never do what I just did. I just did that to test you. <laughs> and I was like, you I was like, what? Yeah. Like, yeah, when we use autopsy gel, we cover the body so that the smell is not in the room. Mm -hmm. And he was like, and I didn't do that because I wanted to see, you know, how you would react if you were going to freak out, you know. And he was like, so you passed the test. And then he took me out to eat. <laughs> wow. And, you know, I'm trying to eat and I got the smell still in my nose. You know, it was crazy. But yeah, I proved to myself that day that I could handle it. But I, I was so mad at him. I was I like, you did that. I mean, you did it to yourself, too, because we were both suffering for no reason. But I guess, I guess it was worth it to him. Yes. <laughs> Man. I, I had something similar happen to me starting the job um, when I was doing a loss prevention. For those of y'all that do not know, loss prevention, it can be, it entitles a lot of things, but this was like the lowest rung of loss prevention you could get oh. in, which is basically apprehending shoplifters. Oh, no. So I just, I just, I knew um, I had just gotten married. I had a, my daughter was on the way. And I went in and I applied for this job at the same place I was working. Mm -hmm. I just applied for a different position, which was, it was a promotion from what I was doing. Okay. So probably like my second or third day, it's probably like January, February. It's cold. Mm -hmm. It's cold. It's winter. It's dead winter. For those of y'all that don't believe it gets cold in Georgia, it gets cold in Georgia. Maybe not as cold as where you're from, but to us, it's freezing. Yeah. So, <laughs> This guy tells me, the store manager, because I, I reported directly to the store manager, and then I reported to the district LP manager. So mm -hmm. the store manager says, hey, okay, this is what I need you. Yeah, it was probably around Christmas. Now I'm thinking about it. He said, this is what I need you to do. I need you to go outside and walk the perimeter. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay. Like, where you, what do you mean walk the perimeter? Like, parking lot, da, da, da. It's like, no, walk the whole building. Now, this building was in a plaza. Mm -hmm. So there's the store I work at. There's a bunch of little bit more stores, little Claire's and Route 21's and TJ Maxx's and Subway's. So this was like a strip mall. Oh, okay. This guy had me walk the whole building freezing cold. Yeah. 
I was not prepared. I come back, you know, when you get so cold that your fingers are numb and your nose started running and your breath just is harsh and everything. I walked this whole building, <laughs> come back in, freeze, and he was like, okay, good job. And he just left it at that. No. So my boss calls me, and the next day he's like, hey, well, how'd you, um, just checking on you, see how everything was going. I was like, man, last night was rough. I had to walk the perimeter. And he was like, okay, um, what you were like checking the locks and stuff inside of the store? I said, no, not the perimeter of the store. I walked just outside around the whole building. He was like, the whole building? I said, yeah. And he just busts out laughing. That's so wrong. I'm like, what, what the hell? It's so funny, my guy. It's <laughs> like, bro, he's just, he was just messing with you. You don't have to do that. You walk the perimeter inside the store. So I went in a polite way. And I was like, guy's name was Tim. I was like, Tim, what was all that about? <laughs> And he was just laughing. He's like, I just wanted to see if you would do, you know, how basically like how serious you took the job. Were you going to do what I told you to do? Because there's going to be things that you're going to be told to do that you might not understand why or you, you might want to question. And I just wanted to see, you know, how far I was able, I would be able to push you before you be like, before you start questioning things or something like that. I'm like, well, that was a dick way to do it, you know? So basically, it was just like, go see if so. If this guy walk out in the coat, because it, it, the job was some nights, it was, I have to go out and get buggies out of the parking lot, mm -hmm. stuff like that that wasn't part of my job description. Mm -hmm. So he was just kind of testing me to see, hey, if I send this guy out in the cold, is he going to go out there or is he going to be like, no, I'm not doing that type of thing? But either way, that's neither here nor there. But you bring back a lot of memories out right here. So Yeah, I had a lot of those moments while I was quote unquote learning the business. But yeah. uh so with <laughs> with the donations, mm -hmm. that's the uh does the mortuary handle that? Like the if they're oh, donating their eyes and skin and stuff, do y'all the the mortuary handle that or is that done elsewhere? No, that's done um elsewhere. Yeah. Some it really depends on like the circumstances surrounding the death, like say for example, someone <clears throat> like this young lady who was hit by a bus, if she could still breathe on her own, most likely like her organs would be immediately take, if her organs were okay, they would take those organs and donate them immediately right there in the hospital while they were still viable. But stuff like skin and bone and stuff like that, it depends on if they're using it for like medical research or if they're using like a actual donation to a living donor. But most of that happens, you know, you know, with all of that's going to happen outside of the funeral home. So oh, okay. you just get the body. That's still, that's still kind of wild though. Mm -hmm. So with the, um, the subject of the, the grieving, right? Right. What? Um, I'm what? sorry. Oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I'm sorry. Okay. What um, was your motivation or what triggered you to say that we need to discuss this, this topic of grieving to give people better understanding? Right. Um, well, it's funny. Another story. Um, I was working someplace with a gentleman who had lost his mother and he was very, very, very close to his mom. And this guy is probably, at the time, I'm thinking he's in his, like, mid-30s. And I always knew the guy to be, like, really fun, happy-go-lucky, you know, just a really energetic, positive person. Mm 
and his shoe game was so on point. Like every time I saw him, he had like brand new, you know, tennis shoes. Mm-hmm. And so I asked him one day, I was like, you know, what's your deal with the shoes, man? It's like <laughs> every time I see you got new shoes on, he was like, well, he was like, that's what I did with my mom. He was like, my mom loved tennis shoes. And he was like, when I got a pay, my very first paycheck ever, he was like, I ran out and I bought my mom tennis shoes. And that's what I just always did is I'd buy myself a pair. Then I buy my mom a pair. Oh man. And I was like, Oh, that's cool. You know? And he was like, that's just something I did for my mom. So we started talking about, you know, him losing his mom. And he was like, I don't ever talk about it. And I'm like, you never talk about it? And he was like, nope. He was like, I can't even go there. He was like, I just, my shoes are my tribute to my mom. You know, he was like, every time I buy a pair of shoes, I think about her or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow. I was like, I think especially, in, and I don't, well, oh, I'm not going to say that. I was going to say especially for Black people. Um, well, I am going to say that. <laughs> hey, it's on you. Well, because I think we have so much trauma that we go through mm-hmm. on a daily just trying to live that I think the compiledness of having grief on top of our daily struggles is extra hard for us. And we've been taught to just be strong. You know, I can't tell you how many funerals I've attended and the grieving person, the family members, the loved ones, you know, everybody's like, you can make it just be strong don't cry, you're going to be okay, you know, and these are things that we have culturally told ourselves, and we don't allow ourselves to grieve, Yeah, which is a process, like, you don't just wake up one morning, and then everything's fine, you know, it's like, it's a process, there's stages, and pieces of this that we have to like push ourselves into so that we don't end up doing stuff like just in crate like buying shoes every week you know as a tribute to our mom not saying that that's a bad thing that he was doing mm-hmm. it's just that he couldn't even speak about his mom like that means that you haven't grieved and I feel like it's important for us to see grief in in all things like it's not just when someone dies it means you had a really bad breakup. Yep. That's grief. It's loss of any type of loss. You lost a job. That's grief. And it's the same steps. You know, there's denial. There is, um, you know, there is, we, we don't want to, uh, there's bargaining, you know, like, okay, well, maybe this happened because of this reason. All of these things we go through in our head, but we don't think we recognize that that's grief. You know, it could even be something as simple of um, a changing of the guards. And to mean that is what I'm saying is like, say you was really cool with somebody and y'all was like best friends and y'all always hung out and then life changes. They moved or a situation caused you not to be cool no more or something like that. That's a loss and that's a grief as well. And we're still going to have to make our way through every single one of those steps until we really get to acceptance to be able to really process what happened. But like I said, again, so many of us, life is just keep throwing curveballs at us that we don't take the time to recognize what has happened, to process it, 
to actually walk ourselves through the stages of grief, either by ourselves or with counseling. And that's another component of the book that I wanted people to understand. And, you know, this is not a preachy, I'm not that person, you know, kind of book, like you got to do this <laughs> yeah. but to help people understand that we are grieving daily over things that we don't even consider grief, Yeah, you know, so, and to help us realize that it's okay to go through those stages and to finally get to a place where, yes, it's painful, it's hurtful, but we can still live very productive lives when we go through the stages and we're not holding on to the grief and 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 using it and letting it seep out in other ways if that makes sense it does and um just recently this year i was dealing with um my daughter's grandfather on her mother's side First her grandmother first her grandmother on her mother's side passed. Then, you know, a couple months later her grandfather passed. And she was more close with the, the grandfather than the grandmother. But um so during that situation she's twelve. So during that situation, you know, I'm trying to be a dad and I'm, you know, let me check on my kids, see how she's doing because she talks to me, she she usually lets me in more into her feelings than she does with her mom because I think because I'm more of a, we're real similar you know in the way that we move and the way we express ourselves and our emotions so mm-hmm. I think she she just kind of knows like our dad kind of gets it a little bit more mm-hmm. so I hit her up one day and I say um you know how you doing while she was up they had to go to DC for the funeral mm-hmm. she's like oh, I'm okay it's like I just um I'm kind of confused and I'm like, okay, well, um, what you confused about? And this stumped me when she said this. She says, I don't know how long I'm supposed to be sad. Like, mm-hmm. because to her, she's 12. And while she knows her grandfather, he lives, like, even when she stayed in Georgia, he lived in D.C. This wasn't like someone she saw all the time. So it was one of those, hey, it's granddad, uh, it's great, and then granddad's gone again. Mm-hmm. So while she's there with the family, you know, his children and his his um uh, relatives and everybody's going through their stages, and to her, I guess she had got over it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And but it's like I don't. She didn't know if it was okay to feel like that, like if it was okay to not be sad anymore. Right. Right. Yeah, so what what do you, it might be an odd question, but what do you think about that? Like, how do you? Well, children um, are so resilient. Man, to be a kid again, because <laughs> they, they understand things on a body level and before they understand things on a thought process level, you know, and her body's like, I don't feel sad, period. You know what I mean? And so kids are amazing at grief. Um, and even though, you know, one of the things that I really wanted to do is there's a children's camp in, uh, Colorado that helps young people deal with grief and you go there for the summer and they have counselors and activities to help kids that have lost loved ones. And one thing is kids up to a certain age, and this is, you know, every kid's different, 
but up to the age of 10, kids don't understand death. Mm-hmm. Because to them, death is like they see on TV. It's like, you know, in a cartoon, someone dies and they come right back. Yeah. Sure. You know, so on that level, they're not really processing what it means that someone's gone forever. And then beyond the age of 10, like with um, your baby, it's like, yeah, I get that this person's no longer here, but I think kids have an uncanny ability to understand that that love that we share with someone is not just uh, it's not just a temporary thing that lives on. And so I think they don't feel the grief and the sadness because when we become adults, then we start attaching other stuff to our loved ones that don't necessarily belong to them, (laughs) which I kind of explained in the book. Like we, when we lose someone as an adult and we've built all these memories and times with them, we think that people belong to us. You know, like when my grandma passed, I was mad. I was like, how could God take my grandma? I need my grandma, you know, because she raised me. And I was upset and I was mad and I was all these things and I was just frustrated. And I had been praying for her to get better and she didn't get better. And I was just like, what is this? Like, that is my grandma. How could you take my grandma? But then I realized as I got older, that's not my grandma. That is, she belonged first of all to God. And second of all, she belonged to a lot of other people too. You know, she was a mom, she was an auntie, she, you know, so I think kids have the ability to see past what we as adults have, all these extra attachments to people, you know, that, that, that we are so connected that we can't separate who they are in our life. You know what I mean? It's like kids have this ability to, like I said, feel grief on a body level. And if her body's telling her, I don't feel sad anymore, then yeah, she's moved into acceptance. And that's the last stage of grief. And everybody grieves differently. There is no special time. Like you should not be sad for just three months or you should not be sad for just a week. You should feel whatever it is that you should feel and go through whatever you need to process in order to grieve. And that's going to look different on every single person and especially depending on how close you were to that person. So, you know, it's really wonderful that kids have that ability. Um, One of the things that I think also we don't do as Americans is we are so removed from death. Like in other countries, I just saw something yesterday, which I knew that they did, but in some cultures, they dig up their deceased every year and they put new clothes on them and they wash their bodies and they celebrate their life. And they do that every single year as a celebration of the dead. Well, in American culture, the minute somebody's deceased, we're removing that physical body away from them. Not in every culture, because in some Jewish cultures, they sit Shiva with the body for like so many days. But in most American cultures, as soon as someone's deceased, we get them away from that person. Mm-hmm. And then the next time we see them is at the funeral. And like you said, now you're walking past the casket and you're like, okay, I see them. You know what I mean? Like, but what am I supposed to feel? What does this mean? And 
I think it's uh, it's not a good thing for us to be so removed from the death process because then we're curious. We have all these questions. We don't, you know, it's like depending on where you are spiritually or religiously, you may believe they went to heaven. You may believe they're just resting in the ground. We have all this extra stuff, you know, and kids are resilient because they don't have all that extra stuff. They, they might not be questioning or they just think, hey, they're in heaven or, you know what I mean? They don't have all these extra questions and issues that we as adults have. So, you know, that's, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. Culturally, can you hear me? Mm-hmm, yeah. Okay. I got like a weird feedback on my end. Okay. But um, I, it made, when you talked talk about different cultures, it made me think back to being, um, for a while, I was practicing Islam. Mm-hmm. And their outlook on death is completely different than what I had for most of my life. Mm-hmm. It was more of a, we're spending our life preparing for death because death is coming. So you're trying to get your, you're trying to get your your soul right. You're trying to get your good deeds up. So because in Islam you believe that you know for the for the good people you you your 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 grave is spacious and open and you have good companions there in the grave with you to keep you keep like the angels or or or, or you either get like a I don't want to misquote because it's been a while but you get an angel or you get a devil in your grave with you mm-hmm. until the day of judgment. That's your gonna be your companion. So for the the people who did good deeds and the people who uh, truly loved God, their their graves will be spacious like palaces. And for the others, the grave will be tight and you have a a demon, a devil in that grave with you. Mm -hmm. So it was like they were always more accepting of death because this this is what I've been working my whole time for is to get to paradise, not to be here. Right. It Mm -hmm. was never like, it was never like, you know, people, I'm not going to say people didn't mourn, but it was more of like, boom, that was, that was a good brother, you know, his grave's going to be spacious, he's, 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 he made it basically, like, it was like getting the, the NFL draft, I don't want to downplay it, but it was like, he made <laughs> it. there. Um, and then, with funeral-wise, it was different because we actually buried the people ourselves mm-hmm. first time i ever saw that like uh a guy who was part of our con- congregation passed and we had the funeral and then went out to the, the the burial site this muslim burial site and they opened the casket mm-hmm. now i had heard all this stuff before but i hadn't seen it mm-hmm. see what i'm saying so we get there they open the casket and they take them out of the mm-hmm. casket and then somebody had to run to to because it was a, it was a big like a lot of funerals there was a big to do about how do we bury this guy because he was muslim but his family wasn't so they ended up giving permission for him to be buried based on his beliefs and not theirs mm-hmm. so somebody went and grabs sheets so you you wrap you wash them you wrap them in white sheets and then we actually all ourselves well, not all of us, because only so many people can fit. But a guy jumps down into the, the, the grave, and we lower him with our hands into his grave, and then we bury him. Yes. Everybody takes turns. That's like the last good deed for your brother, what it was looked at. Let's, we got to bury our brother. And everybody takes turns 
covering his gravesite, and you don't leave until he's buried. You stay until he's buried, and then you leave. It it was like, mm. wow, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, and that, that, man, those practices are really ancient. I mean, even the Egyptians, you know, where we get our embalming process from, they, they really honored the deceased um, by adding, you know, they added material things to the grave. You know, mm-hmm. there was food and there was, I mean, heck, some of the servants, I mean, <laughs> if you, <laughs> yeah king you know and you died that meant the servants had to die too you know and they were buried with them and they were buried with all kinds of treasures and because of the whole philosophy i don't have time to get into yeah but yeah i mean i feel like um i'm really glad to see now the trend is celebration of life versus funeral service um i've attended hundreds of funeral services and some of them I'm like, wow, okay, so we're doing this, you know, and there's people falling out and it's, you know, it, it, people are truly grieving and, and they're hurting and they're crying out. And, you know, then I've seen some services where it's so peaceful and I've had services that were so funny. I mean, just I, for me, I want the funniest funeral you could possibly have i don't want people up in in the you know church crying over me like i want you to remember starla was crazy she was hilarious like i want people to laugh and i'm glad that we are celebrating people's life because it's my philosophy that there is absolutely no pain there's love there's peace there's joy on the other side there's understanding there's forgiveness like all of that's on the other side. And I feel like we should celebrate that. I totally agree that it should be a celebration of life because whether you're here for a day or whether you're here for 90 days, like that is something to truly be joyful about that a life existed, you know? And so I, you know, I'm like that too. I feel like we should all be a part of the process, you know, whether it's one little bitty thing or whether it's things that you can do to help with the body, because I think that helps remove our fear. We fear things we don't understand. And like I said, death has been so removed from us, you know, that I think it's difficult. People fear it because we don't, you know, there's people who've come back from the other side and said things, but we really don't know. You know what I mean? It's the unknown. And so it, it, I feel like the closer we are to it, the easier it is to grieve, the easier it is for us to celebrate the life of the person that is deceased. So, yeah. I, t- I tell people that um, after my funeral, I want somebody to go on my Facebook page mm-hmm. and post from my page. I want to thank everybody for coming out to show me love. <laughs> Good one. I, I might pre- have to borrow that. <laughs> I appreciate y'all. You know, turn up tonight. Right. <laughs> Meet me at uh, the so-and-so bar tonight. We turn it up. Right. I'll be there in spirit. <laughs> exactly. I mean, because that, that's the guy that I am. I, I really would, you know, I really would rather for people to be happy right. than to be sad because i'm gone which i know there's gonna be some i hope people are gonna be sad when i'm gone right but it's like don't hold on to that for too long because right. 
that's not me. That's not. I wouldn't want you to be sad like that. I want somebody to crack a stupid joke in the middle of all of this. And I want somebody to just to say something totally inappropriate because that's how you got. That's why y'all are my friends. Right. Exactly. That's, that's how we are. That's what I want. Somebody say something off the wall in here. You mm-hmm. know. If so, if none of my brothers get kicked out of my funeral, I, they have did me a disservice in my afterlife. Somebody's got to get thrown up out of there. I feel the exact same way, my friend. I feel the exact same way. Oh, yeah. And I know my friends, they are going to say all kinds of inappropriate stuff. So I don't even got to worry about that. I told my family, like, please don't have my service in a church because it's not going to be, even though I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and I, you know, I follower of Jesus, but, you know, I wasn't always like that. And some of the friends are I don't even have it in a church building. I need people to feel free to say what they need to say. And so, absolutely. Y'all, y'all can drink a little Hennessy during the service. Lose it here. You know, we vibing in here right now. This is a vibe. I want it to be a vibe in here. I hear you. I saw, it, it, it's funny that we're having this conversation because I, just the other day popped up on my Facebook feed there was a video at a funeral and this lady gets up Uh-oh. and she's like, oh, y'all excuse my language, but I'm I'm quoting what was said in the video. She says, I'm about to twerk for my Uh-oh. nigga. Can Uh-oh. I get some music? Oh. And people jumped up, was like, they started playing music for a second. And people jumped oh, up, no. was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> and, they, and she's like, but her daughter just said it was okay because that's one of those things like we we're talking about. Her daughter knew mm-hmm. her mother and that her and her mother's friend's relationship. Mm-hmm. She understood the the sympathy behind that. Everybody doesn't everybody doesn't doesn't want that seriousness. Right, right. You know what I mean? Because like I said, if we if if you know our relationship was just goofy the mm-hmm. whole time my whole lifetime why would i expect you to give up get up here and get some deep heartfelt speech right yeah exactly we would have never conducted ourselves that way we would have been in here acting stupid if i was if i could get up out of this casket you know i'd be acting acting the damn fool right now so acting fool for you boy one more time one more time <laughs> and oh, somebody yeah. i've seen some of that i've seen some of that in some services then i I seen some stuff where like people were getting their funerals. They would be like, they had a guy sitting in a chair mm-hmm. with the game controller. He's like playing his favorite video game in the at the funeral, and a guy got buried in his Cadillac. I was like, that's that I, that's cool. Some people view it as disrespectful, but I'm like, that's that was really somebody that put thought into how would he really want to go out, not just stick him in a suit and put him in his casket how would he really want this to be conducted that's to me that's real love right there that's genuine love right there well in honoring our deceased we should i believe we should honor what their wishes are and i mean as long as it's not anything unsafe (laughs) gotta keep safety first but i mean i feel like we should do that you know because like you said so many times we want to get pious and righteous because that person is deceased when it's like you understand who they were you know and it's like 
because we are in church settings and things like that, people feel that we have to honor and respect in a certain way, but not everybody believes the same thing. I am a huge proponent of let people exist where they are because either we're going to get to a spiritual level or we're not. That That's not for me to judge. That's not for any of us to judge. And so wherever that person was, you want to honor where they were or who they are, you know? So I totally get that. I absolutely get that. And see, yeah, I could go on, but I won't. I digress. <laughs> <laughs> I have one more tiny little thing to talk about. Go ahead. Um, which is my other book. <laughs> like I said, I've been busy. Double whammy. Yes. Uh, so, and this little book, and it's a tiny little book, it's just a guide. Because like I said, one of the things that I do is I help people get their books published. Mm-hmm. And so I have people um, on my author page, I have people constantly um, messaging me with questions. You know, and some are simple, little easy to answer questions, but some are a little bit more complex. And so one thing that I am planning on doing, and this is a a component of that, is I wrote this small guide for people who are creatives. If you've ever, ever wanted to write a book, if you are just a creative person, if you've ever wanted to publish your poetry or a children's book, any, any type of book, this little guide is perfect for people who want to know the information to get them started. It's not exhaustive, um, but it has lots of really good resources and places to get in contact with different people and um, businesses to help you on your way. And, um, and I made it just as simple as possible. It's called 10 Steps to Living Your Literary Legacy. And so now I can just say, go get the guide <laughs> instead yeah. of having to answer a bunch of questions. Uh, which I never mind helping people, but it just kind of makes it easier for me and for the person to have the full complete picture of what you need to publish. A lot of people think it's super expensive. It's not. um, If you know all the little tricks of the trade. So I just wanted to put that out as well. So that anybody that's ever thought, you know, I think now is a perfect time for us to really start telling our stories. I'm very passionate about people telling their truths and their stories. So, and it's it's a really good time for creatives. You know, if you're a creative person, there's a lot of energy in the world for that. And so I feel like, hey, you know, if you ever considered it, now's the time. And this little guide will help you. And that's great that you're sharing that information with people because so many people will go through these processes and learn these things and then want to put it in their little basket and don't want to share it with anybody else. Right. And to y'all out there listening that want this information, get the book because the same thing that I'm saying about people not sharing this information, we have a vast number of people who don't want to pay for the information. If somebody has done the due diligence and the legwork to put the information that you need in a nice little package for you, you should support that person. It's not even support because I feel like support is a word that's kind of like you're doing something because you're obligated. You might not necessarily want to do it, but I'm going to support you. No, you need to be a patron of these people because they have done the work for you. Now you could just go pick up the book and 
read it and you know know how to get your book out there versus you watching a million YouTube videos, reading a hundred how to do books and going through this seminar and that seminar that you're trying to pull up free on YouTube and getting bits and pieces from here and there. Somebody put it together for you all in one place. Patronize that person, people. And let me just shameless plug here. This is a small guide. You know what I mean? Like, like I said, it's not exhaustive, but it's enough to get you going. And, and you will be able to, even for the most, like, I'm not a tech person. I'm really bad with anything technical. So if I can do it, anybody can do it. <laughs> and so I, the streamline and the, the way this guide is presented, it is so easy. And it is only five bucks, like five uh, bucks. That's it. Like, and if you have Kindle Unlimited, because many people are getting their books on Kindle, it's like two bucks on Kindle. So literally, there's no excuse. It is not. I, I did that on purpose. I did that on purpose so that I work with mainly marginalized artists. So we, we don't have the money. I know it's a pandemic and people are out of work and things like that. I purposely priced the book as cheap as possible. I'm not making a lot of money off this book. It is truly to help people. So there's truly no excuse. And mm -hmm. everybody that I know who's a writer or even likes to write has a book, a notebook or several or shoe boxes full of stuff they've written and is just sitting there. This is for you. So you can collect that stuff and put it together, organize it in a form where you can go ahead and put that out as a book product. So absolutely, yeah, it, it's you can't get better than this, really. For $5. For the price of a foot-long sub, people. There it is. For the price of two tall boy cans of cold beer, <laughs> you can there get a guide to how to get your stuff started. And getting started is always the hardest part. Exactly. So, boom. Mm -hmm. Tell the people where they can find these books. Mm -hmm. All of my book products are available on Amazon. Um, so, Embalmed, um, all you have to do is just look up Embalmed on Amazon, plus my name, Starla Carr, is with two R's, C-A-R-R. -R. Um, and the other book is 10 Steps to Living Your Literary Legacy. It's also on uh, uh, Amazon. And I know that people have problems with Amazon. And so if you'd like to order a book directly from me, you can just message me on my author page at author Starla Carr and um, just message me and you can uh, cash app or you can um, PayPal me and I will mail you a book. And if you mail, if you get it from me, you get some very cool book swag to go with it. So that's a plus. Awesome. So there you have it, people. Starla Car, embalmed, and I ten forgot. Steps. That's okay. Ten steps <laughs> to ten living steps. to living your literary legacy. Ten steps to living your literary legacy. Right yeah. there, you have it from Starla Car. Miss <laughs> Starla, I want to thank you for taking time out to speak with me again today. Absolutely, I thank you. And uh, all the listeners out there, as always, I love and appreciate each. And every last one of y'all, it's been DeVille D.I. and Starla Car Thoughts by DeVille D.I. the podcast. All right. Yay. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much.